0: Thank you, worship team. Kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church, and I'm going to make an adjustment of some fans up here. Better. Now I'm in a whirlwind of tornadoes, so that's, that's cool. Let's take our Bibles, and we will turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. You know, as we come to this text, we find the Word of God described for us a dramatic change in a person's life. There are a lot of life changes that people face. For instance, we're born, and we learn how to walk. We have our first day of school. We get married. Each one of these things, a huge life change. Maybe times of sorrow where we lose a loved one or where that marriage ends. Life changes. But what all of these life changes have in common is these are things that happen on the outside, affect us somewhat on the inside, but they don't really change who we are. In fact, when these circumstantial changes take place, it often reveals who we are, rather than changing who we are. But there is a life change that changes us from the inside out, and that's when we come to Jesus. When we embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior, He transforms us. He changes us within. Now, for some people, that change comes quickly, dramatically, instantly. For some people, that change is a slower process. What I found after 35 years of ministry is it's not a one-size-fits-all proposition as far as how God changes us. God changes us all in different ways. And God isn't fit into a box to where he does the same thing and every person in the same way. What we find here in the book of Acts was a dramatic transformation, a change in the Apostle Paul. He was converted. And what does it mean to convert? It means he was changed. And that change came completely from within. When we saw the testimony of Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, we found in the first part of that ninth chapter that God did a tremendous work in his life. That Saul was opposed to everything that God stood for. He looked at Jesus Christ as his enemy, as a false teacher, as one who was to be rejected on every level. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus or with any of Jesus' followers. That was where Saul was. But now we find him changed. He came face to face with the risen Christ. And as a result of coming face to face with the risen Christ, there was significant change. And you know, we're going to see something. When we change within, that causes people to see the change and often it confuses them. When we look in this text, we find that many were confused by Saul's transformation. They had a hard time understanding how could this one who hated Jesus now follow him? How could this one who did everything that he could to silence a witness for Jesus now be the person who engages in promoting truth about this man? How could such a radical change take place? They were confused by that conversion. So what confused them? Look at this 19th verse. and We're going to look right in the middle of that 19th verse. You know, sometimes the verse divisions, chapter divisions are unfortunate. And I think this is one of those cases. Because in the middle of the 19th verse, the writer, Luke, says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues, That Jesus is the Son of God. What a change in message. Before, Saul was saying that Jesus was just a radical rabbi that kind of went off in a wrong direction and that he was deceiving, he was fooling the followers that he was bringing and assembling around himself. Saul wanted to do everything that he could to stop it with all of the zeal that he could muster because he believed that Jesus was wrong. And he wanted to stop that. He wanted to bring people right back to the right place and the right doctrine as he saw it. And so anything that he could do to stop it, he did. But this changed. Rather than seeing Jesus as a radical rabbi that had gone off the reservation... He changed, and he now saw Jesus for who he is. Look at that 20th verse. He saw that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, sometimes we hear the term Son of God, and we think, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God. We've heard it so many times. There's even a movie entitled Son of God. So what's the big deal? I want you to think about the audience that Saul was writing to. You see, they understood full well that when Saul was saying that Jesus is the Son of God, it was a testimony to the fact that Jesus is God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus was teaching, and he said this. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he saying breaking the Sabbath, now look at the last part of this verse, but he was calling God his own father, which did what? Making himself equal with God. For Saul to say that Jesus is the Son of God, it was a clear statement to his Jewish audience that Jesus is God. So to move from saying that he was just a man who was flawed and who was in error as to what he taught, moving from that position to the position that, hey, this is God in the flesh who was among us. The people got that. They understood it. And I want you to notice that he went into the synagogues to share this message. It wasn't something that he was chirping from the sidelines, He went into the heart of the opposition and he shared the gospel because he was so transformed by the power of the gospel that he was willing to do that. He was obedient to the command that Jesus offered right at the beginning of his ministry as he told Ananias that Saul would go before his own people, before kings, that he would share the gospel with all of these. Here is Saul fulfilling the very word of Jesus right in the synagogue. Imagine how that confused the people who heard the message. Imagine the people who were so opposed to Jesus themselves and still standing as strongly as they could against him. Imagine how that looked. Here is this guy that is supposed to hate Jesus with us. And now he's worshiping him. He's calling him God. How could that be? How could he change in that way? Change is significant. Saul experienced that change because God changed him from the inside out. And you know, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to see God do that same work in us. As we yield to him, we find that God transforms us. The very word transform that I'm using appears sometimes in the Bible, and it's a Greek word, metamorphosis. You know what metamorphosis is if you remember your high school biology? Metamorphosis isn't taking a caterpillar and gluing wings and legs on it and saying, this is now a butterfly. What happens? The caterpillar goes into a cocoon and changes from within. And it changes so much from within that it becomes no longer a caterpillar, but a butterfly. That's what happened with Saul. God was doing that work in him. He was transformed. He was changed. Then we go on to the next part of the passage. As we come to the 21st verse, we find that this change was noticed by people because there was a change in his behavior. and This is the second point that we need to look at. When you come to follow Jesus, there's a change that takes place in your behavior. Look at verse 21. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests. Now again, you see the confusion on the part of the Jewish people that were there in Damascus. They're saying, now wait a minute. Apparently, Saul doesn't understand his job description. His job description is, capture as many Christians as you can and drag them back to Jerusalem for trial." And so here is Saul and the synagogues preaching the gospel. He didn't understand that he wasn't supposed to join them, he was supposed to stop them. But he was changed by the power of the gospel, and so he was transformed. And he no longer committed himself to stopping Christianity. He was now promoting it. And that brought significant confusion to the people who were watching all of this unfold. All of the Jewish people who were counting on Saul to rid Damascus of this plague of Christian believers were now disappointed. They saw that change. And they saw... How he viewed and worshiped Jesus Christ. Change is noticed by those around us. And let me say this if we want to share the gospel, people had better see a difference in us. If we are so much like everyone else around us that there's no real difference, how will they hear the words of the gospel? How will they see the work of God in our lives? We have to be different. We have to show that God is working and transforming us. And if we try and share the gospel without that change, it falls on deaf ears. But if we are submitting to the changes that God brings into our lives and we are yielding to the work of God in our lives, what are we going to see? We're going to see people respond to the gospel message. Now, they're going to respond in one of two ways. They're either going to become more angry with us or they're going to receive and join us, but there will be a response. And that's what we find here with Saul. This change in behavior brought tremendous confusion to the opponents. But then we go on to the 22nd verse. And in the 22nd verse, one other change took place. Not only the change in how he viewed Jesus, not only the change in his behavior, but a change in the way that he shared with other people God's truth. He was committed to compelling others to believe. Look at that 22nd verse. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Do you see what was transpiring? The same zeal that he had to stop and crush Christianity had been transformed by God and it had been brought to the place to where he now stood and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. The zeal that he had to stop Christianity was now changed to a zeal that promoted Christianity. And let me show you something else that took place. Look at this 22nd verse right toward the end of it. Right toward the end of this verse, what do we find? That he was proving that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Think of Paul or Saul's background. Saul throughout his youth had studied the Old Testament, and he had never been able to understand fully what it meant but God was putting the scripture into his mind so that when he had been changed and brought to Christ, all of those things that had been stored away in his thinking in the past now had meaning. And he could see the truth of God's word. God, in a very real sense, when he redeemed Saul, redeemed those memories. And brought them to a place to where he could apply them in sharing the gospel with those that were around him. And so when he went into the synagogue, what was he able to do? He was able to go into Isaiah and talk about how the suffering Christ was Jesus. He was able to talk about how God made provision for our sins that though they were as scarlet, they can be washed and cleansed white as snow. He was able to take all of those truths, all of those teachings that he had learned but never grasped and use them for the glory of God rather than for the glory of a religious system that he had been committed to. God did a work. And look at what it did to Saul. Again, that second, 22nd verse Saul grew more and more powerful. Here is the community of unbelievers trying to knock him down. And each time they try to knock him down, what happens? He gets stronger. And he learns to develop arguments and truths that will reach them. And God develops him into one who is able to prove that Jesus is the Christ. Tremendous, the change that takes place in this man that's brought out in these scriptures. But you know, when we have changes, we also find challenges. What we find is this, there are many challenges that are going to be faced by new converts. And what we find first is here in the 23rd verse, this significant change that had taken place, this conversion that was evident to all, now brings some challenges into Saul's life. Let me encourage you. I've talked to a lot of new believers who become discouraged. And they say, you know, I trusted in Jesus, but I had no idea some of the struggles that I was going to face. I had no idea that I would be rejected by family. I had no idea that my circle of friends would look at the new person that I've become and reject me because I'm no longer one of them. I had no idea that I would face all of these changes, all of these things that would take place. And I always encourage those who come to me with that and say, thank God that people are noticing the change that has taken place. When I was in India, there was a young man who was taking care of the place where Paula and I were staying, and just a delightful young man. I mean, had a, an infectious smile that, that whenever you saw it, he would come into the room and just grinning from ear to ear, and of course, as an Indian, he was darker than I was, and so that bright smile seemed even brighter, and I loved it. It brightened my day every time I saw it. He was so gracious and loving and kind. And I figured, well, you know, he must have been one who was raised in a Christian home, one of the Indian Christian homes. And then one morning when Paula and I were with him, I just asked him, Tell me about your life. How did you come to Christ? You know what he shared? He was in a Hindu home, his father was a part of the police department. Part of the responsibility of his father was to keep Christians in check. And here's this young man. He was probably about 16 or 17 when he heard the gospel. And he embraced the truth. He trusted Jesus as his savior. And so you know what his Hindu father did? Leave. Don't take anything with you except the clothes on your back and you get out of here. No relationship with his family going forward. He went to his Christian brothers who housed him, provided for him, and he was studying to go into service for Jesus Christ. That's why he was in that household. God changed him, but that change brought persecution. And that's what we find here with Saul. Look at verse 23. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. Here is Saul in Damascus and these opponents to the gospel. Rather than out-arguing Saul, which they couldn't do, decided to do to him what they did to Saul's Savior. Their plan was, kill him. We will just simply take their life. Now, there are instances where people succeed in martyring a faithful witness for Jesus Christ. We see it all around the world. There are believers who die for their faith. In the instance of Saul, there was something different going on. There was a dynamic. Jesus had said that Saul would accomplish many things that he had not comp- accomplished yet, that he would go before kings and his countrymen, and that he would suffer much for his faith. So, going into his service, Saul knew that this was going to take place, but God wasn't finished yet. The course that was mapped out for Saul by the Lord had not been finished, and so here is Saul facing his persecutors. They were committed to seeing him stop. Look, as the text goes on, it says that God had allowed him to know their plan, so Day and night, they kept close watch over the city gates. The The opponents of Saul were saying, well, he's got to come out or into the city at some point. So when he does, we've got a few guys with knives. And when he walks through, we're going to stick one right between a couple of his ribs. We have hit men. And we put a contract out on Saul. That's the bottom line of what was going on. So here is the community of believers. And they are concerned about the safety of Saul. So look at verse 25. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. They saw to the safety of Saul so that he could continue. When you share the gospel, you are guaranteed that people will oppose. And this is what Saul faced, but God had a plan for him that was unfolding. But just let me share this again. Your conversion will bring changes not only inside, but in relationships with people around you. And you have to be prepared for that. You have to face those challenges. There's another challenge that takes place though. Sometimes the challenges aren't just outside the church. Sometimes the challenges we face are inside the church. And what we find as we progress through this text is verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Now, I have to point something out. In between verses 25 and 26, there is a gap in time. And that gap in time was approximately three years. Now, some of you might ask, well, how do we know that, Pastor? Galatians, chapter 1, starting at verse 15. When God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, now here's the part, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. So, I want you to think about the dynamic of what's going on. Luke, because he was talking about a different theme, didn't include this in Acts. We get a glimpse of it in Galatians, but here's the bottom line. By the time Saul goes down to Jerusalem to connect with the church, he's been a believer for three years. He's been promoting the truth of God, preaching and learning and coming to the place of preparation. So for three years, he has a track record that he's faithful to God. And yet, verse 26, when he comes to the Jerusalem church to join the disciples, they're still afraid of him. Now, why would they be afraid? It wasn't because of anything that Saul was currently doing. It was because of the reputation he had earned in the past. But I think there's a challenge to us as a church to think about this. Do we welcome people who have radically different backgrounds than us? Or are we like the Jerusalem believers who look and say... Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's tricking us. Maybe he's fooling us. You know, he's been just laying low for three years so that he can come here and work his way in and get to know us and then report us and get us all carted off to prison. That's probably part of the thought process that was going on. That isn't what God was doing. God was changing Saul. There was testimony that the risen Christ had actually appeared to Saul, So there was a real change, and what the church needed to do was get on board with that and believe that God is able to change hearts and to change lives. So what did God do? Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord And the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. What happened? God sent a peacemaker. And that peacemaker was Barnabas. We know from Acts chapter 4 that the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. And this is what we see with Barnabas's track record again and again and again. He's a peacemaker. He's an encourager. And here he's encouraging the church. This man, Saul, has been changed. I've witnessed it. I've seen it. You can trust him. Thank God for Barnabas's. Thank God for peacemakers. For those who bring people together under the unity of truth. This is what Barnabas did. And this is why Saul was embraced by the church. God used his message to change their outlook. But let me warn you, if you're a new Christian, sometimes it takes a while for other Christians to come to the place to where they understand the change that's taken place in you as well. And you have to be prepared for that. I've talked to some new Christians, and they've made a personal decision for Christ. They come to the place to where they've embraced Him as Savior, and they mess up on something. And immediately after messing up, there are Christians who say, well, I don't think that was real. don't think it was genuine. You did this. And they suffer. God wants us to understand that we're all a work in progress. There's a process of God transforming us that takes place. And like I said at the beginning of the sermon, sometimes it's quick, it's immediate. Sometimes it's different, slower, but there nonetheless. But we as a church need to reach out and encourage everyone in their growth. And that's what the church at Jerusalem was doing with Saul. Something else that we see in this text Look at verse 29. Commitment to evangelism will bring immediate persecution. Now we've already seen persecution take place for Saul when he was in Damascus. But now as he's sharing the Gospel freely in Jerusalem, as the 28th verse says, and speaking boldly in the name of the Lord, what did we find? Verse 29. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews. But they tried to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Again, the witness, the evangelism, it brings a change in the way people respond to us. But here's what we need to understand. Why this constant persecution? Why couldn't the people in Jerusalem and Damascus simply look at Saul and say, well, he has some different ideas, but uh, hey, eventually they'll play out? Gamaliel had said that about Jesus, remember? When Jesus was facing crucifixion, Gamaliel said, hey, if this is true, or not when Jesus was, when the early church was being formed, he said, if it's true, then it will survive. If it's not true, then it won't survive. God will make it work. And if, we can't, if God is making it work, then we can't stop the work or the plan of God. That's what Gamaliel had said. But here are these people. No, we have to kill him. We have to crush him. We can't allow this to go on. Why this strong response to the truth of the gospel? And I believe that answer is found in something else that the Apostle Paul wrote. He says in Ephesians 6, Be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, it's the 12th verse I want us to look at in particular. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Why were the people so inspired to stop the work that Saul was doing? because they were guided by Satan. And I believe that same truth is for today. In many countries that have radical Islamists in charge, there is a passionate hatred and desire to kill the people of God. And I believe it's more than just human animosity in play. There are spiritual forces in play. And that's why God must continue the work. Jesus said this in one of his letters to the churches. He shares with the church of Smyrna, I know that you live where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not recognize your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Again, the idea of this intense persecution being associated with demonic influences. So here is Saul experiencing that in its fullness, first in Damascus, now in Jerusalem first let down out of a city wall by a basket, now ushered out of Jerusalem to Caesarea so that he could take a voyage to Tarsus. When you share the Gospel, you're going to face that. But then we come to the 31st verse. And what we find in the 31st verse is this. There's a shift from Luke isolating on Saul and now he's expanding a discussion to the entire church. Where Saul was a new believer, now he expands his discussion to the many new believers that comprise the church. And notice the first statement that we find in verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. Have you ever noticed that things tend to come in ebbs and flows? feast, or famine. There are times where we are under intense difficulty and struggle. And it seems like that struggle will never come to an end. And we wonder, will I be able to endure? Will I be able to make it through this? And it seems like wave after wave comes upon us. When I was a kid, I would love to go to the beach. And when I would go to the beach in South Carolina... If there was a storm out to sea, the waves would get bigger, which meant I could get better raft rides. So I'd take my little inflatable raft and I'd jump on those waves and I would ride the waves. Now, when there was an occasional big wave, great fun. But when the waves were coming in hard and fast, it would take that inner tube with this kid on it and turn it upside down and rake them across the bottom. And then as soon as you would get up to try and catch your breath, boom, another wave hits you. Sometimes that's the way life feels. We feel like there's just one wave after the other. We wonder if we're going to be able to get air. But it's during those times that sometimes there's a stop and a calm, and God lets us heal. And that's what God did for the early church. There was a time of peace. If you're in a time of peace in your life right now, thank God for it. I hate to put it this way, but enjoy it while you can. Or if you're in a time of turmoil, understand this, there will come that time of peace. God gives us rest to heal when we need it. And that's what happened with the early church. So that they could be strong, so that they could focus on growth, God gave them this brief time of peace. But God did even more than that for them. God grew them. Spiritually on the inside, numerically on the outside, God was at work in the church. Look at what we find there in the latter part of this 31st verse. It, referring to the church, was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't know why the NIV Bible does this, but in the original language, grew in numbers and living in the fear of the Lord comes at the first part of the Greek text. The fear of living before the Lord was put in a place of emphasis in the text. Why did the church grow? Because they had the right perspective they understood that their only hope was Jesus. And they lived reverentially, worshipfully, recognizing his position. That's vital to seeing ourselves grow. Yield to that image of Christ and you'll see yourself grow. But more is said. The church was strengthened. Now, I want you to notice how this is phrased in our Bibles. Here it doesn't say the church strengthened itself. What it says is it was strengthened. So what's the idea? Someone outside them was strengthening them. It wasn't them pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. I guess they didn't wear boots. Sandal straps. It wasn't them doing that. It was God doing something in their midst. And their dependence on Him gave God a place to work. So they responded. And then look at this they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Do you know what it means to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit? That word encourage is such a beautiful word in the original language. You know what it means to come alongside of? They were experiencing the Holy Spirit at work in their lives and in their midst, and as a result, they grew in numbers. God was doing the work. And you know, in closing, I just want us to consider this. If it's true for the first century, it's true for this century. God's the one that does the work. Paul recognized this when he wrote to the Corinthians, and he said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, who made it grow Not rhetorical, you can respond. God, always a safe answer in church when the pastor asks you something. (laughs) But in this case, it is true. God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants, the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. This is God's church. Not mine. Not someone else's. It's God's. And God does his work in this church as he sees fit. We're a long For the ride, we make decisions to yield to God, and we find God's work in our midst will not be stunted by our resistance, but it's still God's work. So, my encouragement to all of us as a church body is this depend on God. It's not a program, it's not a procedure that makes a church grow. It's God himself. God himself makes the church grow. God changed Saul into Paul and made him a champion for the gospel. God changed Rob Wheeler from a kid who was living with a heart not directed toward the things of God into one who became directed toward the things of God and who surrendered his life to serve God. God does that work of change in us, in the church. And we must recognize that. But the question that we as believers need to ask ourselves is this. Have I seen God change me? Have I Experience the things that are described in this text where people are resisted because of their faith. Or do I blend in with those around me so much that there's no distinguishable or noticeable difference? That's a question that you can only answer for yourself. But it's a question that's worth asking. And so I would encourage all of us to do inventory and ask ourselves have I seen the work of God in my life? And I would encourage you that if you haven't, something needs to change. Something needs to be responded to as far as God. And that something is you coming to terms with God himself Maybe you're a believer that's just kind of muddled along in the middle and you've lost some perspective. Maybe you need to come to the place to where you say, I need to get serious about my faith and live for God. Maybe you're a person who has sat in church and heard many a message about Jesus, but you've not done anything with it. You've just allowed it to hang there and You haven't committed your heart to God. Let me encourage you this morning. A decision is in order. All of us must ask these questions and recognize that God does work. So ask God to work in your life. Ask God to change you, to transform you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text.